Welcome back to the B2B Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Trainer. In this bonus episode, you'll hear my conversation with Leslie Cruz when I was interviewed on the B2B Growth Podcast. I'm a big fan of this podcast, so I was thrilled when they asked me on to chat. I share my thoughts on how to shift to a growth mindset and share my four-point plan for growth. You can also check out this full episode on the B2B Growth Podcast, and it was episode 2024. Enjoy. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to B2B Growth. I'm Leslie Cruz with Sweetfish Media, and today we are continuing our deep dive into demand generation. I'm really, really excited to have joining me Brett Trainer, host of B2B Founder, a weekly podcast focused on helping B2B founders and owners go from a startup to a scale-up. Brett, thanks so much for joining me on B2B Growth today. Hi, Leslie. It's my pleasure. You know I'm a big fan of this show, so happy to be here. And this is our first time talking. I think this is a repeat visit for me to the, to the program, but you know, excited to be here. And two, I have to give a little bit of a shout out that you were one of the folks that really helped me get the podcast up and running back in the day, a hundred plus episodes ago. So thank you for that as well. Yeah. I'm so excited to have seen how much your podcast has grown, which is why I really wanted to talk to you today because it's cool to see you know, how you have helped so many founders go from startup to scale up. And so I'm really excited. And as you know, uh, we're talking about demand generation today. So I'm curious before we get a little too deep here, in your own words, how would you define demand generation? Yeah, it's funny. I think over the, the past you know five years, it's really changed. I used to run a demand generation team. But I think you know part of it now is you have to look at demand gen as an organizational approach, right? And it can't just be paid you know, Facebook ads, (laughs) it's going to divide demand. It's really got to be an organizational approach to connecting with, connecting with your prospects. And I think one of the biggest things that's shifted and and rightfully so is kind of, you know, turning the script a little bit and thinking less about selling, right. And more about how do we enable our buyers, right? So are we targeting with problems that we're solving? Are we still leading with features and benefits and, and how good we are? So to me, that's the biggest thing. It's just not a, you know, like customer experience is no longer just customer service. It's, it's organizational. I think the same thing's applying to demand generation. Yeah, absolutely. And you kind of leaned into this a little, but one of my favorite things you've talked about lately on your LinkedIn um, is actually growth as a mindset. And I do want to talk about that because I think it's something that's so important in this industry. And you know, something I feel a lot of B2B marketers tend to get wrong is focusing on growth from more of a sales perspective rather than a buyer's perspective. Uh, so what would you say is so important about shifting that focus? Yeah, I think that's, it's a great point and, and so true because, you know, a stat I read not too long ago, which surprised me, I haven't seen it earlier, is that, you know, at any given moment, only 3% of your ideal buyer is actually in buy now mode. Wow. Right? So it means if you're looking at demand gen in the traditional sense is more transactional, I, I would say, right? So how do we connect with somebody and get them to buy our stuff? And I think if you change that to a growth mindset and say, hey, look, not all of this is going to happen today. It would be great if we could connect with those 3% and get them to buy tomorrow. But the reality of the situation, it's a longer game. And so demand gen has got to be broken into kind of those different parts and I think if most the organization, especially in a startup, doesn't think about it from an, a growth perspective or a growth mindset versus a transactional mindset, 
you know, it's going to be a really long road to, to achieve their, their goals and growth goals. Yeah. Something you said another time was, uh, I think it's in your LinkedIn profile is change is inevitable. Growth is optional. And I just, I love that because it's so, so accurate in this specific field. Yeah, no, I think it absolutely is. And, you know, one of the things that, that drew me back into the startup world a number of years ago was, you know, growth in the startup in B2B, not even growth in the startup, but growth in the B2B space is very nuanced, right? It's just not, you can't just do one thing, like a direct consumer on a website, you yourself, you connect with this customer, they buy your product, right? I mean, you've got multiple buyers typically, right? When you're selling in the B2B space, You've got the timing issue. You know, they may not be aware of the product or solution that you have. So it becomes very nuanced. And, you know, that's why, you know, change is going to happen. Your buyer's preferences are going to change. And if you don't have the ability to shift, you know, you're going to have a hard time, you know, staying the port and keep growing. I think we're seeing a lot of companies now when the digital or the pandemic hit having trouble connecting right in a digital first world. So, mm. yeah, like I said, change is going to keep happening. I think it's going to keep happening more and more rapidly. So how do we embrace that to, you know, get to the growth? Absolutely. What is something that you think B2B marketers in this industry need to stop doing? Yeah, I think the biggest one, and I've been on this soapbox for a while, is talking about the the sales and marketing alignment, mm. right? So if you're a younger growing organization. You don't have those silos in place yet. And it really has to be, um, like so I said, I wouldn't necessarily lead with marketer, but I'm thinking from a growth perspective, you know, think about it. How do I connect with my, my prospects? Where are they? Right. We've seen the preferences changing. They like to do the research, right? They want to be able to solve their own problems. And guess what? They're going to vet you before they even and talk to you. Mm. So I think taking back to what we originally were talking about, more of a buyer enablement approach is going to enable you to better not only connect, because I think one of the bigger, bigger issues between the sales and marketing is you can't look at it as a handoff, right? So if we think about it from back to buyer enablement, which is becoming a theme, that, hey, the prospect, yeah, they found your content somewhere on LinkedIn or on the website or a referral or a customer and they're checking it out. And now they're raising their hand and say, hey, I'd like to, to chat with somebody. Too many small businesses, and I would even say legacy and enterprise companies struggle with helping that process or prospect through the, the buying process, right? Too often we define it on our terms as the the, the company, right? Hey, this is our sales process. This is, you know, how we do demos. This, I mean, if you flip that switch and think about it and map it back from how the buyer wants to buy, you're going to take a lot of friction out of the process. Uh, I know I'm a little tangent there that asked your question. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I think that sales and marketing alignment is really important. It's something I've been learning a lot about because it's something that people just don't think about, but it really is so simple just to look internally. And it's, it's really an organizational fix. And, you know, that conflict kind of comes from, I mean, it could be something so simple as having sales and marketing get together and really defining the leads. I mean, just going back to, you know, step one, like what, what is a lead to us? And I yeah. think that's why there's so much conflict there. And I would even take that even a step further and say there are no, there is no such thing as a, a marketing qualified lead. Now, this mm -hmm. is my humble opinion that you write either the buyer is ready to buy. So it's all intent, right? So, you know, I, I may come to your website, download a couple white papers, you know, 
fill out and sign up for your newsletter, that doesn't mean I'm ready to buy. I haven't raised my hand and said, yeah, let's engage, right? Mm -hmm. So don't force your prospects through the buying process. And I think even just going back, so, you know, I came from the sales world initially. So, you know, it's kind of, it's been a mindset shift for me, right? Because sales used to be the driver for a lot of organizations and, and specifically around revenue growth. We can get into, you know, expansion and retention and how do you keep your current customers. But from a new business perspective, I think if you're leading with sales and using that as a cold outreach, you know, I look at it sales as a hand-to-hand combat, right? So mm. each sales rep can do really well. And if you have good sales rep, guess what? They're going to hit their quota. They're going to do well. But I wouldn't bet my growth of a company on that strategy, right? Because <laughs> that what are you going to have 100 people having to hit their quota? And if you see the, you know, the data, it doesn't support that that many are hitting it. So I think that's why it's got to switch to more of a digital first, and then having the the right resources available when that customer or prospect raises their hand to to engage with you. So one of the things I advise my clients is, is don't even think of it that way. Let's think about, hey, the prospects out there, if they message somebody from LinkedIn or drop us a note, you know, how do we respond to that? And in the way, again, encourage them to think about, think of your, your first level human content is kind of the concierge. Mm. Help them through that buying process, right? You don't want to necessarily hit the sales switch immediately because you're going to turn them off and you usually only have one chance. Now, that's not to say that there's not a point for, for sales reps, right? In enterprise selling, absolutely, you need those talented folks. And I would also argue that, as you're getting close and the customer's definitely interested in asking for that customer's business, you know, not everybody's cut out for it. So I think it just, again, comes back to that mindset and how do you map to align with the customer or the prospect and have the right human touch where, where it makes sense. I mean, that is the only way you're going to scale a business. Mm-hmm. I've yet to see anybody do it otherwise. So... Hopefully that makes sense. No, that's okay. I love it. And this actually segues really well, kind of talking about going startup to scale up. You and I were talking previously about a four-point framework, and I was wondering if you would dive into that a little bit with for our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. And we already covered, you know, pieces of it, but you know, this is something that I've been using for quite a while, but finally wrote it down and documented <laughs> and kind of formalized it. But but This goes back to B2B growth is very nuanced. And what this framework allows for is to plan for for each of those areas. And, you know, an easy way to remember it is ACES, right? A-C-E-S. And no, I didn't fit the words to fit the the acronym. It just happened to work out that way. But, uh, you know, A is the the initial, it's the alignment. And the way I like to to kind of outline this, it's, it's really around your messaging and positioning. And making sure, one, your message, right, what your offer is aligned with, you know, who you're serving, right? If your offer and solution isn't aligned with what your ideal customers are buying or if your customers change, you know, to making sure those two things are aligned. But a lot of companies probably get that right. But the the third piece of the alignment is, you know, your company's why. Mm -hmm. We can almost do a whole segment on you know, why are we in business? I know Sweetfish does a really good job of articulating that. Mm -hmm. But important internally is to make sure those three, so your company, why you're offering and your customers need to align because if there's, you know, misalignment or a mismatch, then you're creating friction and it's going to be really hard to connect with those prospects. So, 
you know, like I said, we could do almost an episode on this piece of it. But if you can't get that part right, you know, then when you get into the execution aspect of it, you're already at a disadvantage. So I really encourage mm-hmm. folks to take the time to go through this. So let's assume we've got that. We've got our message. Everything's aligned. Organizationally, we're ready to go. It's like, how do we execute? And instead of the seven-step buyer journey and all these other things, which I'm a fan of, <laughs> you know, I broke it into you know really three pieces. The first is being connect, right? How are we going to connect with those prospects? We we talked about a little bit, you know, at any given point, only three percent are actively buying. Which means you need to be out there with, you know, content first, right? Again, Sweetfish does a really good job between LinkedIn, the podcast content, providing a ton of value to potential future customers. So it's really, you know, using that hockey analogy that how are we going to be there for our customers when they're ready for us, right? You can't be always chasing or pushing. It's just not a good long-term strategy. I think, again, the new world order is organic and SEO are still critical because customers are searching for solutions. Mm. And, you know, I'll come back to tie to the, the new business after that. So that's really the connect. All right. So how are we going to connect with our, our new prospects? The second is enablement, right? I've talked about that a, a couple of times already is, all right, so somebody's raised their hand. How do we get them through that process, right? With this minimal time and friction and possible and get them to that buying decision. So changing the mindset from sales enablement to buyer enablement, but don't stop there. So if we talk about enablement, we bring somebody on board and then, you know, are we enabling our customers to unlock the value of our offering, right? Without being too cliche, but many companies make the mistake. All right, we sold them. Let's throw them over the fence. You know, we've got an onboarding team and maybe a customer success or account management. Very few companies still have a a plan. So if you're in the startup phase and you can build this into the DNA of your organization, you're going to be light years ahead. So that's really enabling and not just the prospect, then once they become customers. And then last but not least is is support, right? Are you there to help your customers when they need it? Because not everything's always going to go perfect. And a lot of the times this support and service, which, you know, you could argue could be part of enablement, but I I still look at enablement as more as process and automation and support is really how do we service our customers? And what I kind of referred to a second ago is back to the sales cycle. Man, if you could develop some really passionate customers about your service and your business, they're going to help you sell, right? They're going to make the referrals. They're going to talk about it on social and other areas which just makes your life so much easier when you're trying to get back in and, and grow new business. So usually I can, Leslie, I can talk about this for about an hour. So I think that was my, my five minute overview. So if you've, you've got any questions, please fire away. Oh no, I think this is so great. I think, I think my favorite part of this is really the connect factor because it's kind of making yourself almost go to for that specific area. You know, it's it, you're not really targeting, but you're just making yourself, you know, you're providing value. You're making yourself available. And I think that's so important. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, because if you can't connect with folks, <laughs> you really don't need to enable them or support them because you're not getting them through the, the through the pipeline. And, you know, even though that's why these are all interconnected. And like I said, I start from the alignment because if you can't get the messaging right, it's going to, you're going to have trouble connecting and if you can't connect, then it's even harder to enable. But on the flip side, I would say if you mis- mishandle the enablement aspect of it, 
your churn rate's going to go up much higher. Or you may not even get as, you know, the close rate as high as you want because the process wasn't easy for the buyer. So that's why I go back to it's just not about demand gen. And this is kind of how I think about growth with demand gen kind of being the engine. But mm. unless you've got all four parts working, you're not going to, you're going to have to work twice as hard to get to the same revenue goals. Absolutely. And to anyone who's working in a startup or scale-up organization and is listening to this and thinking, man, I really want to implement a demand gen strategy into my business, but maybe they don't have the resources, they don't have a specific person to sit in that role, would you point them back to this framework and say, hey, this is where you need to start? You know, you have to start with a line, or would you point them in a different direction on where exactly would you start building that demand gen strategy? Yeah, no, it's a great question. But, it, you know, this framework really works for businesses of all sizes, right? Mm -hmm. So if you think about those four pieces at an enterprise or a legacy company that's been in business for 30 years, they'd have a lot of work to do, probably mostly around the connect and the enable piece of it to, to do it efficiently. And, you know, the one of the things that I, I look at from you know, a growth stage, so the early stage of a startup, it's the founder and it's founder-led selling. The founders probably or the co-founders are doing everything. But this framework still makes sense, right? As you're starting to test your own messaging, now you're not going to have super documented processes or automation at this point in time. But if you think about it the same way, you still want to start building this into the DNA. So, you know, I highly encourage folks, even if it's not super deep initially, start with this framework because one of the, the challenges that I found with the, the companies that do start to move from startup to scale up is they're scrambling to get processes in place or who are the folks that are going to do certain things. And like I said, if you start with kind of the, the general high-level process, you can worry about who's going to do what later. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't spend days or weeks documenting processes when it's, you know, the founder and it may be a couple folks. But my, I guess my advice is don't wait until you're really moving through the growth phase to try to get this, these pieces into place. Mm, that's really, really good advice because I feel like so many times people are like, well, we're growing and we're getting there and we're not quite ready to roll this out yet and we're not quite ready for this framework, but kind of just starting where you're at as you are. Like you said, this works for, for all sizes. So that's great. Yeah. You can only pave the road as you're driving for so long before you run off the road. Right. <laughs> that's not mine. I forget who I got. I should be able to tie that back to somebody, but I use that all the time because we all, we're all guilty of it. And, and to a certain extent you have to, but, you know, think about what the, the crew is you need, you know, as you start to, to drive faster. Absolutely. And another question I had for you kind of going off on a different path here is how can startups get demand gen wrong? And we talked about this a little bit, but I wanted you to dive into that a little bit more. Yeah, I think the number one thing is when you're outreach and connecting is is trying to sell, hmm. right? Th those days of the used car salesman saying, buy now, buy now, it just doesn't, it's not going to work. And I think if you, you take that, the value first mindset, right? How do we provide good content? You know, the customers are going to tell you when, when they're ready. And I still think that is the number one, that, you know, trying to sell too quickly and only and then two, leading with, with features and benefits, right? You, you've got precious marketing dollars that you're using and hours that you're using. 
And if you're going out to folks, say, hey, look at my newest technology or look at these features and benefits, man, the customer does not care. Right. <laughs> they don't care about their features and benefits. So, you know, kind of flip that switch and think about what are the problems you're solving for these customers, right? Super simple. What are the problems you're solving? How do you solve them? And how do you solve them differently? And I think if you take that approach into the market with demand gen, which is kind of counter to demand, because I think everybody thinks of demand gen is you know, new business now. And until you're established, it's going to be really hard because if people don't know you or they don't know they have a problem, you're going to have a really hard time selling them. So, yeah, I, I'm not saying it can happen, but I think those are the two biggest pieces that startups and even enterprise spend too much time on. That's great. Brett, this has been so insightful. Thank you so much for joining me today and talking about this framework. I think this is going to be huge for so many companies who are looking to implement a new demand gen strategy, and I'm I'm really excited about it. So where can people listening to this find you online if they're interested in hearing more from you? Yeah, I mean, the easiest place I'll give you two is, you know, brettrainer.com, my website. It connects to everything. It's just B-R-E-T-T-T, A-I-N-O-R, so Brett triple T trainer. And then on LinkedIn, I'm more than happy to connect with folks. And, you know, like I said, we got a lot of good free content and I'm happy to, to have a conversation with anybody that, that just wants to talk about demand gen and, and growth, especially in the, the early stage B2B companies. Absolutely. And I'm an advocate for that as well. Brett is very knowledgeable. So if you're listening to this and you're wondering where to go next, definitely check out Brett's podcast, B2B Founder. It is incredible. So Brett, thanks so much again for joining me on B2B Growth. Oh, thank you, Leslie. It's always fun. Is your buyer a B2B marketer? If so, you should think about sponsoring this podcast. B2B growth gets downloaded over 130,000 times each month, and our listeners are marketing decision makers. If it sounds interesting, send Logan an email, logan at sweetfishmedia.com.